Hey, welcome. I hope your week went well. So he was a fugitive. He was accused of murdering his wife. He escaped from the law and the U.S. Marshals were after him. And every week we tuned in to see whether he would get apprehended or whether he would get away. And of course, I'm talking about the TV series, The Fugitive. The TV series was uh, filmed in 1967 and then a film came out. I think Harrison Ford was in it in 1995. But I always, uh, I always wondered, is he going to get caught? Is Robert, Dr. Robert Kimball going to get caught this week? And each week, you kept wondering, how is he going to get away? And will he ever get his name exonerated? Um, this weekend, we're going to look at another fugitive. But he's not running from U.S. Marshals. He's actually running from God. And uh, it's a prophet from the Old Testament. His name is Jonah. And uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Jonah. We're going to talk about Jonah. And I just want to address a few things right up front about the book of Jonah. Many people, critics especially of the Bible, say, well, Jonah's a, Jonah's a, a whale of a tale, right? Um, it's a fictitious story. It's make-believe. It's good to tell children. But ultimately, we can't believe in it. And ultimately, the root of that, that issue is unbelief. The, the root of that issue is the person, and many people do, struggle with the idea of miracles. But here's the thing. If you believe in the existence of God and you believe that God, the miracle of creation, if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then any other miracle is not really a big problem when you think about it. Uh, if you can get past creation if you can get past the existence of God, if you can get past the resurrection of Jesus, then the miracle of how God would provide a, a fish of some sort to uh, care for his prophet isn't such a big miracle, is it? The other thing you need to understand is in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus makes a reference to the book of Jonah and the fish and basically says, as Jonah was in the in the fish, the great fish, three days and three nights, so also the Son of Man. So Jesus used that story for his burial and resurrection. So I want to, I want to go on and I want to talk a little bit about some of the, the um, literary concepts. Uh, because Jonah is a, it's only four chapters, but it's really, it's, it's so well written in a sense that it has this outline that is so unique. Uh, think of it as dividing chapters 1 and 3 and 2 and 4 because that's kind of how the book breaks down. And 1 and 3 are very parallel and 2 and 4 are very parallel. Let me show you what I mean. Notice in chapter 1-1 one, one, you see G uh, God's word goes to Jonah and uh, Jonah basically goes and <laughs> tries to run away from God. In chapter 3, God's word comes to Jonah. We see in verse 3 of chapter 1, Jonah runs away from God. In chapter 3, verse 3, Jonah basically obeys God. So that's, that's a parable. They go on. The parallels are, are, are interesting. In chapter 1, verse 4, we see a warning of judgment. Uh, and God brings the judgment of a storm. In chapter 3, verse 4, we see a warning of judgment as Jonah is going to a city and saying, a storm is going to come upon the city of Nineveh unless you repent. 
Uh, in chapter 1, verse 5, we see pagans, the sailors on the boat of, of Jonah, responding. And what do they do? They do everything they can to preserve their lives and also the wayward prophet. In chapter 3, verse 5, we see the pagans of the city of Nineveh repent and give, uh, you know, give their, you know, they, they turn their lives back to God for a, a period of time. So it's very interesting. And then I said that one and three are parallel and two and four are parallel. Look at two and four. In chapter two, we see God provides this great fish. We don't know what it was, but God provided it. And in chapter four, we see God providing a, a plant. And uh, those are both uh, demonstrations, manifestations of God's grace in Jonah's life. That's kind of how the book, you know, plays out. And I want you to see the literary component of this book because I think it's, it's pretty significant and it's pretty important. Um, the other thing I'll mention too is God's love for the nations. Uh, the book of Jonah shows God's love for sinners. And it doesn't matter what tribe, what nation, what people group they belong to, um, God loves sinners, and God loves people who are living bad lives. God sent a Jewish prophet to a Gentile city. One of the very few prophet, or prophets in the Old Testament that go to Gentiles. Jonah is one of them. And we're going to see that God is opposed to this toxic nationalism that was going on in Jonah's life. Um, and so, to some extent, I would say, in evangelical Christianity today, we need to be careful about that. Instead, he sends his prophet to warn of impending judgment and doom in calling them to repent. And Jonah, he has this attitude, understandable when you catch the context, and I'll share it with you in a minute. He has this attitude that um, a good Ninevite is a dead Ninevite, right? And so God is going to bring this insight in the book of Jonah. And the question is, how can God be both merciful and just at the same time? So that's kind of where we're going to go. But we're going to jump into the book. We're in Jonah chapter 1. I just want to read the first 10 verses, and then we'll go from there. Let me do that. Jonah chapter 1, verse uh, 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amadi, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to, for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Notice then, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below deck, where he lay down and fell asleep. It says, into a deep sleep. Notice the captain went to get him. He said, how can you sleep? Get up and call your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast their lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. And notice, it goes on, it said, So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where did you come from? What is your country? And so they're asking him all these questions. From what people are you? And he answered, 
This is kind of an interesting answer. He says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry, dry land. And at that point, it says, they were terrified and they asked, Why have, what have you done? They knew, it says, and it's, this is in parentheses in many of your translations. And the author is giving us previous information. He says, they knew he was running from the Lord because he had already told them so. The question is, why did Jonah run? Why did he run? Did he, at, did he believe that he could actually flee from God? I mean, I don't think so. I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't think Jonah was trying to run from uh, spatially from God. I think he was trying to run relationally from God. I think he was trying. And you know what? I think most of us would say we probably have tried that. We've probably done that ourselves. And what do I mean by that? You know you can't run from God, but sometimes what you do is you live your life as though God isn't there. You say, well, maybe if I don't believe he's there, he won't be there. Uh, maybe if I, I hope he's not, and many of us go to places and do things, and we, you know, if we were really to think about whether God is with us, we'd go, well, I hope he isn't with us. And that's kind of what Jonah's doing. I think Jonah's trying to take himself out of the equation and say, maybe God will get somebody else to do it, but God isn't going to do that. Now, why did he run? Why did he run? Well, uh, you have to know a little bit about what's going on here. The city of Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire and uh, one of the cruelest and most violent empires in ancient times. Uh, there are depictions of emperors uh, etched on stone showing dismembering decapitations of their enemies and even worse there's stuff that I can't even talk about it's so gruesome and they have actually have etchings of these things these awful things that the Assyrian Empire did the other thing you need to understand is the the Assyrian Empire was a constant threat to the northern kingdom of Israel and its capital city of Samaria they were um constantly in danger to the Assyrians and Jonah being a Jew um, and a highly patriotic prophet he opposed the Assyrians and he probably reasons as I said before a good Ninevite is a dead Ninevite they were the enemies and in, in, in America we would think what is the one nation that we would say boy there are really there are enemies and some, even Christians, come to a place where, well, if they were all destroyed tomorrow, I wouldn't lose sleep over it. Now you're starting to understand what's going on in Jonah's heart. It's not a good thing. Now, how do we try to run from God? Because that's where I want to spend our time. I want to talk a little bit about how we run from God. And I think there's at least, there's a lot of ways, but I want to talk about two that I think are very common for us. Um, there's two basic ways we run from God. Now, it's interesting because many scholars have seen a parallel between Jonah and the parable of the prodigal son. Now, let me show you how that plays out because I think it's very interesting. They have pointed out that there are times where Jonah plays the younger brother who took all of his wealth and ran away. And then there are times where Jonah played the older brother who stayed and stewed. Let me look, look at this. So how does Jonah play the younger brother? Well, some scholars have pointed out, you remember the story? The younger brother comes 
to his father in the parable or the story that Jesus tells and he tells and he says father I want my wealth and I, and the father gives him the gives him his inheritance he goes off to a faraway town and uh, he you know and in that sense he plays uh, the prodigal let me read you that that uh, that passage right now the younger one said to his father father Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after them, the younger son got together. Um, all that he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, everything he had, his inheritance is gone. There was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. Now, so the younger son takes his wealth, all of his inheritance, and uh, he leaves his home, he leaves his father and his brother in shame, and um, he squanders every last penny on wild and uncontrolled living. He is an outright public, uh, it's outright public rebellion. There's no question about it. He has shamed his father, he has shamed his father, brother, he has shamed his family. It's easy to spot. This is outright rebellion. And Jonah, clearly, in chapter 1, is running from God. This is outright rebellion. It says that God said, go this way, and Jonah went exactly the opposite way. So it's clearly, clearly opposition. Uh, he is opposing God's plan. His actions, and understand this, too. So this is very clear for us. Some of us would say, I've had a prodigal son. I was the prodigal son or daughter. And... Um, you know what we're talking about. It's very clear. And jo Jonah is behaving like the prodigal son. He has been told to do this, and he goes in the opposite direction. Now, we often think that our actions only affect us. They don't. Um, our actions affect others. Your actions, good or bad, have either a positive or a negative effect on you, your friends, your family, your coworkers. Your life is not your own. Your life is tied to others. And you can walk around and say it's my life, but your life has an impact on others. And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever considered, have you thought about how your actions are affecting the people around you? Because we're going to see, and we read in the passage, how the actions of Jonah brought these sailors into great peril to the point that they were almost ready to die. He is ready, he is about, for, because of his actions, these men are, may die. Uh, his actions have brought that about. So, just as through disobedience, and I want to read you a passage because I think it can go both ways. And this is what Paul's saying in Romans 5.19. Notice what he says. He says, just as through the disobedience of one man, Adam, he's talking about Adam, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. So in, in, a, in a positive way, you can affect in a positive direction people around you, but you can also bring people down. And we are living under the curse of Adam because of one man's action. Now, Jonah also plays the older brother. Now, how does he play the older, older brother? We see in chapters 3 and 4 that Jonah is behaving like the older brother. So Jonah finally goes to Nineveh. He preaches repentance and judgment and the people of the city repent and you would think well he's very you know happy about that he's not happy he's very angry 
He knew God was going to show them grace and mercy and forgiveness. And these sinners are his enemies. So he's not happy at all about this. The older son, do you remember the story of the, the prodigal sons? It's not just one, it's two. The father welcomes the, the younger son back and the older son seems to be obedient. You look at him, he's out in the field working. He seems to be the good son. But his reaction when the father forgave his younger brother shows us a different side. All the time, the older brother has not been obeying out of love, but, the, but, but here's what's going on. He is obeying the father so that one day the father will owe him. And you see this coming out. He's saying, you know, I worked hard. I was there. He ran off. You owe me. Why are you giving him a party? You owe me. And that's where legalism goes. That's where Phariseeism goes. That's where sometimes, and I've met a number of Christians like that, is something bad will happen in their lives and they go, God, how dare you do that to me? Look at the law I've done for you. Now, look at the father. It's incredible what the father does. See, the older son saw himself, his father, in debt because of his many years of labor and his faithfulness. Notice what he says. He says this. He says, look, after all these years, I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son, he doesn't even say when my brother, he says when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. So he's angry with his father that he's showing him grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Isn't that exactly what Jonah was doing? In chapter 4, we see Jonah laying up on a mountain. He's under a plant, and he's looking down in the city of Nineveh, and he's angry with God that God would show mercy on these sinners. The older brother syndrome is hard to spot because by all appearances, the older brother was moral, he was upright, and he was religious. He, like Jonah, saw himself as righteous. And his younger brother, uh, the younger brother, the city of Nineveh, as sinners. And that's kind of how it works out. That's how we run from God. We either outrightly, blatantly run from God, or we stay real close to God, but we're really not there. We have a veneer of righteousness. We have a, div div a veneer of obedience, but we're really not obedient. We're not obedient from the heart. The father comes and notice what he does. He tries to reason with his son. Notice what he says. He says this. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Look at the parallel in the book of Jonah, these are the last verses of the book of Jonah. And look at what it says. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? It's also so many animals. <laughs> Doesn't that sound similar to the, the father and the story of the, par uh, the, the prodigal son? It's the same God behind both stories. So let me ask you a question. Are you suffering from 
younger brother syndrome. Maybe you're running from God for some reason. Maybe you think you've gone too far. Maybe you think you've done too much. You think there's no hope. God will never take you back because of what you've done. I just want to tell you that you just need to read Luke 15 and you need to read the story of the prodigal son and just look at the father and how he received his younger son back with open arms, waiting for the day of repentance. And maybe that's you. Maybe today is the day that you turn from where you're going away from God and you turn back to God. He will welcome you in open arms. But maybe you're not the younger brother. Maybe you're suffering from older brother syndrome. Maybe you think that because you are a good son, because you display a veneer of righteousness, you follow the rules, you say all the right things. But if you were to be honest, you would say, my heart is not with his. I don't do this out of love and obedience. I do this out of duty. I do this because one day God is going to owe me. You know, at the root of both these syndromes is a belief that we can't trust God is working things out for our good. That's ultimately what came down with Jonah. Jonah couldn't trust God, that God had his best interests at heart. And we often think we need to force God to give us what we need, so we take things into our own hands, don't we? Have you done that lately? Have you prayed and said, oh God, I'm just going to take things into my own hand and do what I think I need to do? How's that working out for you? Here's what I've found in my own life. When I take things into my own hands, when I question God's goodness in my life, I regret it. You know, until we're brought to the depth of our sin, until we see ourselves as living by his mercy only, we will never understand how God can show mercy to evil people and still be just and faithful. So I want to leave you with just three principles and hopefully one of them or maybe a combination of them will speak to your heart this weekend. Here's the first one. Until you come to grips with your sin and you experience his mercy, you're always going to see sinners as them, not me. You're going to be judgmental. You're going to see everyone else's flaws, but you'll never see your own. You're going, to be, you're going to be hard to live with. Until you come to grips with your own sin and you experience his forgiving mercy and grace, you are going to always see sinners as out there and not here. Here's the second principle. Until you see the depth of your sin, you will never uh, understand the vastness of his grace and mercy for you. Until you really come to grips with your own sin, you'll never appreciate his grace and mercy in your life. And I think one of the things that we, one of the reasons we don't appreciate his grace and mercy is because we've really never looked at our own sinful heart. We've ever, never really looked at how much we've been forgiven. And when you've been forgiven much, you begin to forgive others for a multitude of things. Let me read you a passage of scripture. I love this passage. It's from Ephesians. And it says this. 
God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's Ephesians 2, 6 through 10. But look at that phrase in verse 7. It says this, In order that in the coming ages he might, God might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. When you begin to understand the incomparable riches of his grace in your life, when you begin to do that, you will uh, have to go to a place where you see your sin. Here's the last principle. Until you see Jesus who willingly gave his life so that you could live, you will continue to suffer from younger and older brother syndromes. And it's true. We err on both sides of this. And this is how we run from God. We talked about a prophet who ran from God, but in reality, we have to check our heart and say, is my heart in tune? Am I just going through the motions? Do I have a veneer of righteousness? Am I the older brother? Am I judgmental of other people? Is the sinner always out there and never here? Do I have that judgmental attitude? Of, do I have people who I look at and say they don't deserve God's grace and mercy like Jonah? Maybe you're like the younger brother and you just say, I'm going to get out of here. I don't want anything to do with God. I, I, I want to run my own life. We're going to continue in our study of Jonah. But I pray that this weekend, the one thing we will get settled and the one thing we'll get right is, do I know Jesus as my Savior? Have I come to, the grip, come to grips with my own lostness, my own sin, my own rebellion against God? Has there been a moment, has there been a day in my life where I've called upon the Lord and I've asked him to save me? Have you? I want to lead you in prayer right now. Let me pray. And so, Father, thank you for your word that is so rich and so amazing. Help us to come to grips with our own sin. It's easy for us to look at others and see their wickedness and their sin and their unworthiness. But it's a far different thing when we begin to probe our own hearts and our own souls and our own motives. Some of us, Father, have put on this veneer of, of righteousness. We have followed all the rules, but our heart hasn't been in it. We have played the older brother too long. And maybe today is the day that we allow you to do some heart surgery on us. Maybe that some who are listening right now, Father, are, would characterize themselves as the younger brother. They're Jonah running from God, just trying to get away. And 
They don't trust God with their lives. May today be the day that they would realize that there is forgiveness and there is hope and there is grace and mercy for every sinner who repents. Thank you, Father, for the lessons we've learned. May they go deep into our hearts and may they bring a new understanding of our own sinful heart. But may they also bring in a wave of a new understanding of your grace and mercy, which is so rich and amazing. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you where we're going to go next week. Next week, we're going to continue in the book of Jonah. And we're going to see kind of what happens to Jonah as uh, the sailors try to save the ship, but ultimately have to dump the chest.